Welcome to the By the Hood podcast. Before we jump into this episode, just wanted to make you aware that on our website, bythehood.com, we have a free webinar on an intro to the stock market. So please go check it out. Just go to bythehood.com and you'll get the free intro to the stock market webinar. Take it easy and enjoy this episode. What's up, people? Welcome to this episode of the By the Hood podcast or webcast because I don't know how you're consuming this content. I'm your host as always. My name is Jimmy. And as we start off every show, that's with gratitude. Just want to say thank you to everyone and anyone who supports anything we got going on. Special shout out to all the students from By the Hood University. Also, special shout out to all the youth from the By the Hood Ownership Camp. We appreciate all the support. I'm joined by my partner in crime as always, Core. Core, what's up, good brother? What's really good? Uh, every day at Bell Ground's a good day. Let's go get it. Yeah, man, I see the hoodie, man. I see Haiti and Harlem. Like, I wonder if folks even know what he's what, what that hey, represents. Where, where, where are these places? Yeah, Bronzeville. You know nah, what I mean? Man. What else you, you got down there? Oh, Jacksonville. Greenwood District. In the Greenwood yeah. District, yeah. man. Leave in the comments or, 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 you know, when you watch this or listen to us, you know, what those places represent. With that being said, though, man, everything good, though, bro? Everything is good, man. You know, I, you know I love being alive, man. I don't never complain about my life. So let's yeah. get it going. Yes, sir. And as everyone knows, our platform is designed to highlight brothers and sisters who are putting out positive energy, doing great things, building businesses, helping our community. And this brother we have right here is doing all those things, man. Um, so I met this brother. We actually and shout out to shout out to the OG, um, you know, Tank, man. Tank had us on his platform. Um, we were um, part of a roundtable discussion on cryptocurrency. And after talking to this brother, I was like, yo, we got to get you on a podcast to tell your story because you're doing amazing work you know, outside of the investment in cryptocurrency in terms of what you're doing in the community. And without further ado, man, I'd like to introduce his brother, Chad Copeland. Chad, how are you, fam? I'm doing well, man. I uh, I appreciate you guys having me and, and love the way you started that off. Gratitude is the most important thing every day is a blessing. And, and I love that energy. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, <laughs> every day above grounds are good with us. Corey always likes to say, man. So listen, man, Um, this is about you, man, because you're doing amazing work in the community. Um, you know, and anytime someone is doing that, and as, as well as in the digital space, right, you've embraced cryptocurrency. We're going to talk a little bit about all that, but let's get, dig into your background a little bit, right? So where are you originally born and raised? Born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, mother, father, but predominantly mother running things and older brother. Um, went to, you know, public school up until middle school. And then um, I was, uh, my whole family uh, full of athletes. So um, ended up going to a private school uh, called the Gilman School in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, had a wonderful experience there. Uh, really got me out my comfort zone. Um, and then um, love Baltimore. Always read Baltimore is the greatest city in America, according to our bus seats. Um, <laughs> slowly uh, transitioned after uh, high school and went to not too far away in D.C., Northwest D.C., and went to George Washington University. So okay, uh, that's pretty much my my schooling background. Um, so were you a hooper or were you play football or both? So I was a hooper at heart, um, but my build was better at football. So the funny thing about it is I love every facet of football, I love the games. Um, like my goal, my dream is to be a coach when, you know, everything, you know, I don't have to worry about finances or anything like that when I can just mm -hmm. do it with the passion of the sport. But I hated practice, like to the core, 
hated practice so much so that um, football was probably my second or third love, but basketball was my real love. Um, but I went to a football school, so while I still played basketball, and they made us also do a third sport track. Um, you know, football was something I was a little bit better at, but um, you know, my plan going into college was get academic or use football to get um, scholarship money. So as long as I didn't have to pay, I was I was a uh, happy I was a happy camper. You know, what kind of, what kind of student were you coming up? I was a class clown. Like, <laughs> like if I'm being completely transparent, and it was uh, a blessing and a curse. Looking back on it, it was a um, a curse because some of the things, you know, behaviors. Looking back on it, you just like uh, it's sick to your stomach. Um, the blessing of it was I made a bunch of friends, and I also realized who really was your friends and stuff like that. But I think the main reason for that was um, not that I couldn't focus; it was just what. I had to focus on didn't interest me like for mm-hmm. me um the traditional education system is very heavily based on memorization rather than learning Ooh. and i quickly learned how to memorize so even though i was a class clown clown i got great grades but it was just you know i was never locked in and and i don't think up until probably my sophomore year of college i never really gave my full capacity uh to education so what was it in your sophomore year of college that made you say, all right, let me, um, you know, give, give this to the proper type of energy? Like, what was it that happened in your sophomore year of college? So I was an econ, economics major in business administration. Um, and it was predominantly I picked econ because basically uh, my grandfather was a big role model in my life. And also my brother, older brother, he had taken it. And my grandfather had said, you know, if you take economics, you can always get a job with it. Right. And. For me, going to college was um, more so my mother's dream and and not necessarily my mother's dream, but she had worked hard to put us in the position to be able to go to it. um, And I wanted to live that out. But after my freshman year, you know, at least for economics and what I was learning at my school, it was all repetitive. It really came and boiled down to supply and demand. Um, Yeah. you know, it, it, for me, my sophomore year was like a moment where, you know, I really had to try and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, mm-hmm. Now, was I successful in figuring that out? That, that's debatable, but that was the year where, you know, I, I locked in uh, to my studies, but also locked into actually growing myself as a person um, a little bit more. So. Yeah. Okay. So that's dope. So, um, after college, what was that journey? Like, what, what, where did you, uh, when you decided what you wanted to do, what was that? Like, was it, did you have a specific profession or how'd that work out? Yeah. So, uh, I always joke my, uh, day of graduation was my favorite, my mother's favorite day and her worst day. Cause I was working doing administrative work, um, for the government actually. Um, and I quit my job on the day I graduated. And the reason was, was because that winter break prior to it, um, so basically leading into the second semester of my senior year, um, still trying to figure out really what I wanted to do because econ, most of the jobs you want in economics, you pretty much have to go to grad school. And I, I didn't want to do any more schooling, at least that phase of my life. And so um, I had a roommate that just happened to grow up 
doing a lot of magic tricks, kind of crazy as it sounds. Um, and one day he just texted me over winter break and asked me, uh, have you seen the movie 21? And I said, yes. He was like, would you want to try and count cards? Now, I took <laughs> it as a joke, <laughs> really. But I was like, ah, it's worth trying. Read this uh, book called The Blackjack Life and actually really enjoyed it. And we practiced, canceled. We had a uh, spring break in Jamaica planned, canceled it to actually study and practice more and like try it out at casinos near us at the time. And once we saw that, you know, this has some real credibility to it, if you're disciplined, um, you know, we opened the LLC, made it a business. And that was kind of my next two and a half years after college. My main focus was trying to you know, beat the casinos. Hold up. Hold on. Hold on. Let's back it to back up. So you not just counting cards, but you actually tried to do it under an LLC and build the whole business around it. Oh yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. We definitely did. Uh, you know, um, we really, we took on investments, uh, pitched people. Um, it was like a real deal thing. Uh, one of the funny stories is like uh, we had to, we had a name and then we changed it to an acronym because uh, the name we picked said Blackjack Partners on it. And this is when you're young and dumb college kids. We didn't realize we we're going into casinos, you know, charging these business cards to stay in these rooms. And we're using these things that say, you know, our name was DC Blackjack Partners and so <laughs> had to change to the acronym. But we were really doing it. We pitched people you know, had trading guidelines, built a team. Uh, it was a real business, even though, you know, it kind of fell under the umbrella um, of gambling. And that's how, you know, a lot of people viewed it. Oh, so y'all was like Ocean's 11 and 12 and all like, y'all was really in here. <laughs> it was, it was like, listen, it, it got me into crypto, one, but it was, um, I would not replace it for anything like hey, listen i played cards for a living i played online but i didn't i i wasn't i damn for sure wasn't going to no damn casino you yeah. wild as hell man it was it was the funny thing about it was that the main reason i did it was when thinking about what i wanted to do with my life to be honest i had nothing that really stuck out if i were to get a job and have an interview and when I, I just kind of noticed when I would tell some students or classmates about that, like, hey, I'm thinking of pursuing this, like they just automatically thought I was a genius or just were intrigued about it. And so a lot of the push to get me to even actually put in the reps for it was that, you know, at the very worst I fail, but, you know, I'm going into a job interview and that's going to set me apart. Um, and 90% of the interview will be talking about that experience rather than if the I'm an experience you have or whatever job you're trying to get. That's actually pretty great. You have a story to tell. So like that's amazing. a number of applicants, they're going to say, you know, what about the blackjack guy? What, what like, sets you apart? Yeah. And you can really say some crazy stuff. 10% was the ladies, of course, but 10% was that. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's amazing. So, um, so once that doesn't work out, what's the next step in your journey? So you said that got, that's what actually got you into crypto. So talk about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. So basically at that time, so I graduated around 2015. And at that time, online gambling wasn't as kind of relatively big as it is now. You pretty much had to go to Atlantic City or 
Vegas at the time. Um, and so, you know, one of the things you'll know if you're in the casino is the worst thing is when you start recognizing people. Um, especially I'm from Baltimore. I stayed in, uh, at the time, Alexandria, Virginia, and I was recognizing people in Vegas. So I was just like, I'm spending too much time here. But basically, there were poker players who were using basically Bitcoin to online gamble at the time. And I, I, I kind of refused to play poker. This is one of those weird things where I just want to take money from the casino and not other people. But, you know, it was interesting enough for me to at least fund an account with some Bitcoin just to see what it was about. Blessing in disguise, I never played it, never used it. And so I still have some of that. Um, so that was my first first exposure to it. Mm -hmm. um, now, I didn't really start to like understand it and navigate it at a very surface level until I say like 2016, like most 2016, 2017, like most yeah. other people. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it definitely introduced me to it. Um, and at the time, my transition from Blackjack, while it was still something I was just doing on the side just to invest, interested in. I was actually my older brother. He's in the NFL. Um, and at the time he was getting into real estate mm -hmm. um, and was doing his first fix and flip in Maryland. He started in, he was at the Lions at the time doing it in Detroit. And, you know, first fix and flip in Maryland, timeline went way over and he had to go on his honeymoon. And he basically asked me if I wanted to be a project manager for it. And I only said yes, because I just knew successful people dealt with real estate. Um, so about a year, I was being a project manager for a couple of the properties that he had, was able to scale it so that I really didn't need to be on site. Um, I still actually do project managing on the side long distance. And he basically saw what I was able to do with that scaling that business. And at the same time, he was not only actually, you know, starting to be a starter in the league and get more playing time and do more stuff, but he was teaching financial literacy at the University of Pennsylvania. And there was a lot of the stigma was dumb jock back mm -hmm. then a lot of the times. And so it was, it ended up being like a very unique story. Like you're in the NFL, but you're a professor. And especially when he first started it, he went on CNBC, it was just, he didn't have the bandwidth to actually, I don't even want to say capitalize on the moment, but take, mm -hmm. advantage, take in the business inquiries. And I was so, going to ask you about that, right? Because um, I know your brother has like won awards and, and been featured a lot of places uh, for being an NFL athlete that's um, into personal finance, but also teaching it. And, yeah. you know, then I see what you do. So, I mean, I'm just asking about like, you know, um, you guys upbringing, but that's something that was instilled in both of you guys at a young age. Like what made both of you kind of gravitate towards this space of, 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 of educating the community, but also like in finance? Yeah, his would be different. So his story is he remembers a time where basically, um, you know, I, my father's still in our lives better than, you know, most fathers, but he was going through some things at the time. So it was my, mainly my mother doing a lot and sacrificing a lot. And he was in the grocery store and basically it was a piece of candy that he wanted and he couldn't get it at the time. Um, and for him, it was like, why is this? 
Um, and then later on, when he was in Detroit, he was driving around with a few teammates. Um, and one of his other teammates, Theo Reddick, great guy, um, was they're looking at real estate. And they're like, man, like, he was just like, why didn't we learn this in school? Mm -hmm. And my brother kind of light bulb clicked. It was like, damn, I went to the number one business school in the world. And I have no idea about a lot of these things that like, you know, if you're an American, you want to do these things. Like you want to buy a house, you want to get good credit, but it's at the time we weren't talking about it. Yeah. Um, and he's just a doer. So he's one of those people who he'll have a million ideas and he'll actually try and act on all a million of them. So, <laughs> um, there's a lot of politics with actually getting him to be a professor, um, but was able to do it. And he's number one kind of class at the number one business school in the world. For me, um, I always say we plan and God laughs. Um, I, I don't think education was or, you know, on my pathway at all, to be honest. It was kind of proximity to him. Plus my lane was crypto, right? Like crypto mm -hmm. was a lot for me. And, you know, I was able to, you know, orange pill him, my brother, pretty early on. Um, and so we were able to bear a lot of fruit from that. And I just kind of doubled down and actually was like, my perspective was, I think I viewed that I got into crypto luckily, right? Mm -hmm. And even though I viewed it as luckily, I noticed that like I had a, I was ahead of like the curve of just like a lot of just retail people. Yeah. And as adoption continued for me, it was just like, you know, I can kind of rest on my laurels and they'll catch up or I can continue educating myself. And so for me, it was really just educating myself. Um, and then we have a foundation where a lot of it is based off, you know, educating, um, you know, underserved individuals. And so um, I've, at least from my perspective, it, it, it was not planned at all. It was kind of just, um, you know, I saw an opportunity to actually, you know, allow people, high school students to learn about cryptocurrency and get accredited for it, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is important. Like I, I love educating self-education, but I love to get a reward with it as well. And so, um, you know, I, I taught the first portion of it and I'm, I'm still looking to build it out. So if any experts out there in the crypto space, you know, hit me up or hit the team up and, you know, let's build this thing out. Absolutely. So we have a we have an educational component to what we do. So we definitely going we going to link after this. Yeah, but I have a couple of questions for you. Right? What was it about cryptocurrency that made you embrace it the way you did? Right? Because a lot of people, it comes across their plate and they see it, but they don't get it or they don't care to get it. What was it about crypto that made it resonate with you? Um, blackjack. Blackjack okay. is, uh. And I, I didn't realize this at the time I was going through it, but kind of in hindsight, blackjack is 99% about risk management and discipline and decision-making, right? There are times where uh, the premise of it is that at certain counts, there's a basic strategy of how you're supposed to play. But if you count cards, there's certain count, counts that you deviate from that basic strategy. And it also dictates how much you wager, right? 
Now, a lot of times it's very easy if you're not disciplined to either overbet, underbet, or there's sometimes where logically sometimes the, the right playing decision doesn't feel right based off the count. And early on, we realized that the money didn't really matter as much in blackjack as we thought we originally got into it. We didn't care if we ended a session down because we knew over the long run, the law of large numbers, we would end up. We more so cared if we made the wrong playing decision or, you know, our cover was bad for, you know, the eye in the sky. Going to crypto, you know, crypto was so volatile at the time. But for me, I was used to the swings. So, like, I always say, like, that's the only reason I think I survived in it early on because I didn't know what I was doing. Like before I got stocks, I got crypto, right? Yeah. Which I wouldn't advise to people, but, <laughs> uh, but that's just how my journey was. And um, what I did know was, you know, a lot of my risk ma management is based off the Kelly criterion that if, you know, if I don't put too much out there, but I, I put a certain percentage um, based off certain odds that over the long run, I will win. Now, uh, now I'm more in the accumulation mindset, but at that time I was more of a trader, a rookie trader, not knowing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and pretty much my experience with blackjack and just the the whole premise that everything really boils down to risk management mm -hmm. uh, made crypto a lot more palatable for me at the time. Okay, now I gotta ask this question based upon the fact that you know the the, the organization you guys set up. Did you guys ever get caught or kicked out of any places? My main partner got caught. Uh, so they don't, at least where we were, don't get kicked out anymore. So he got caught twice, one in Atlanta City and once in Vegas. So we were really good because I, I mentioned the blackjack life. We went, drove to Boston, met with the author, had a discussion. Um, and he, one of the things that stood out is he talked to, to us about like, you guys will be a really good team because you're so different. So I'm 6'4", at the time, it's probably like 245, 250. I look like a football player. I look like an mm -hmm. athlete. My partner is about 5'7", white dude, glasses, looks smart, looks intelligent. Yeah. So even in our playing styles, I could get away with a lot more than he could because we play off people's ignorance. Mm -hmm. So in Atlantic City, he got caught. Basically, what they'll do is they'll come up to you and be like, your skills are too good for this game. Um, so you can't do like multiple hands and we'll limit how much you can bet, right? Because in Atlantic City, they can't kick out people because they did it years ago. Someone sued for 20 million because it's not cheating. It's just playing the game the smartest way possible and they lost. In Vegas, um, pretty much the same thing, but they were just like, hey, like, your skills are too good. You can't play this game here. You can play craps, go play slots. They'll, they'll love to point you to slots, uh, but you can't play this game. So I've never been caught, but I've kind of doxed myself. Um, <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. But but at the same time, though, that's, that's interesting to play on their ignorance, right? You're not even expecting someone, you know, um, that looks like you to be in there actually doing what you're doing. But yeah. So so my question is, do you still play every once in a while? So I don't play to it's based off the law of large numbers. So like inevitably when I go and play, even though 
a lot of like a lot of friends will always be like, hey, let me give you this money, you go play. And I'm like, that's not how it works. Like, I know more than most people, but I'm still gambling. Like, just statistically, I'm gambling. So I still play, uh, but I'll mix it up some more where I'll do a little bit of that. And I love playing some craps here and there. But um, I actually try and stay away from the casino. Um, yeah. Probably go like once a quarter at this point, which is compared to before a lot better. <laughs> It's interesting you talked about like not playing poker because poker was the only game I would go in the casino and play because yep. from a math perspective, I just recognize it's easier to beat people than it is good casino. Yeah, like the odds were more my favorite playing against people, but I get your perspective too. You like you're trying to you're trying to <laughs> go after the house. I get it. But yeah. statistically speaking, I recognize that okay, my odds are better here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And more emotional yeah. casinos play numbers. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's one of the reasons. Blackjack to me was just numbers. Poker, I was like, I could have the best hand, but someone could just be, you know, yeah, sniper and just know how to, you know, control his emotions and bluff better, and they could still finesse me out of it. Where, you know, I just wanted to like, hey, blackjack's these set of rules. You play it this way. A um, little bit of cover involved against the eye in the sky, but you know, yeah. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give everybody listening or watching a cheat code. Some of the biggest uh, poker tournaments I won in terms of making money was going on cruise ships, right? <laughs> I'll put it out there because I'm not after Rona. I don't know if I'm ever going on a cruise ship again. But when you're in a cruise ship and they have poker tournaments, most of the people Easy. are black. They're they're drunk, so mm-hmm. you just play very conservative. Like I literally, you know, I, I don't even put it out there. But but the bottom line is that's a cheat code to running a bag up um, in poker is to play on a cruise ship because everybody's blasted. They're not even paying attention. But anyway, let's see the handle. Let's get back to your story, though. Um, So this is interesting, right? So, so I, you know, I've been watching you guys and some of the work you're doing with that curriculum. Um, Can you explain that process? Because you created a curriculum to teach people about um, digital assets. But like you said, high school students, and they're actually getting uh, credit for it. Yeah. Um, how did, like what, what made you come up with that idea? And what was that process like to get that approval? Yeah, so... Um... We had partnered, it, it kind of also goes back to my brother's class. So when he first started the class four years ago, the first thing he actually said was like, if I'm only teaching this to Penn students five years from now, I failed. Because the reality of it is, even though it's, it's called Life 101, it's everything you need to know in life, a lot of those students will be fine. They'll be able to navigate certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the people we actually want to serve. Yeah, uh, but we knew it could be a platform or a springboard for what we wanted to do. And so um, recently, uh, this past year, we partnered this company, Emil Learning, um, it's a startup and based in L.A. And basically they do on demand engaging um, courses with Netflix style production. Right. And but focus on high school students. So it started with taking my brother's class and making a high school version of it. And then it was really just that one, the appetite of people wanting to learn about cryptocurrency in general, but also just looking at the market that there wasn't that many that, or I didn't know, from my knowledge, there aren't any that really gave accreditation for learning it. Like you could still learn it in some schools, there was no credit for it. It was kind of like just an elective um, and you just had to be interested in it to be incentivized to take it. And so basically, you know, working with the Emil team who has relationships 
like the California board and all that stuff. We created a, basically a, a curriculum and guideline of objectives that got passed off um, and confirmed with the board. And then it was about, you know, getting in front of the camera and teaching it. Um, to be honest and transparent, I didn't actually want to teach it too much. I've always been I'm a brother's business partner. I'm not a big social media guy. Um, I'm comfortable being player two. Like, you know, uh, as long as the check clears, I'm cool, but I can be in the background. But um, after creating the curriculum, it was just like they felt there was no one better to really teach it at the time. Um, and so I taught it um, very technical focus primarily on Bitcoin. Um, there's other ones that will be focused on NFTs and altcoins, um, but um, it was just really important that we felt that these students get an opportunity to get rewarded for learning it because, you know, you, you have to learn to earn kind of in the space where, you, you know, you can go to Coinbase and you get a couple of dollars for learning about stuff. but a lot of that learning is at least when I did it, like I was just clicking through it. Like, all right, I got unlimited chances. <laughs> and yeah. <then> I, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so, th so that was kind of basically the process um, of getting it accredited. Yeah. That video quad, I watched it like your most recent post on Instagram. And I'm like, I, I, they must've done that one, the Emil team. Right. Because yeah. that video quality is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And that, that was, uh, I mean, the crazy thing is, I hope I don't get trouble saying this. That was in like an Airbnb that rented out. They were building their production studio, which they have now. It's phenomenal. Looks amazing. Um, but then the Airbnb, but they, you know, go in and, you know, the set people put it all together. And so it was really just me just prepping and showing up and then shooting. So yeah, that was dope. That was dope. Man, so 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 you know, now you found your way into the education space, but um you know, also with cryptocurrency and you're a cryptocurrency educator, what does the future look like for you? What are some of the things that you're trying to do in the future, um, you know, with the nonprofit and with your, you know, um, your own businesses and things of that nature? Yeah. So the nonprofit is the North Star, right? I tell people there's things I do. So my brother and his wife co-founded Beyond the Basis Foundation um, about five years ago. Um, we've helped serve over 6,500 people and giving away over $575,000. Amazing. Um, thank you. Um, that is my passion. And the way I can say it's my passion is there's stuff that I do with my brother that I get paid for that annoys me, like the administrative stuff that, you know, even today I had to do for the foundation that is seamless. Um, so continuing to build that foundation, especially after his career is done, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's a thing with players that, you know, being a current NFL player versus former NFL player, some of those calls that, you know, people answer, it slows up a little bit. Um, so part of my job working with Brandon was to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, beyond that, uh, with cryptocurrency, I want to continue have, helping athletes, uh, mm -hmm. help kind of a stable of professional football players, as well as other people really, um, get their situation together. And the reason I think that's important is because when I talk to those guys, I don't want to say there's a lot of, when I talk to those guys, it's one of two situations, really. Situation one is they have a financial advisor, but because of the term, 
because of who the financial advisor works for, you know, they've just started to maybe dabble into the space. So a lot of times it's like either like, oh, I'll take care of it or like you don't even want to deal with that space. Mm -hmm. On the other side of it is like, hey, I got this buddy, you know, he hit a lick off a couple of these altcoins. Um, What do you think about what do you think about this new safe moon and stuff like that? And I even tell people like the thing with the athletes is it's a lot easier than than regular people because what I tell them is like straight up like this. I'm still the size of a football player, right? What if I told them a room full of all football players that like, you know what? I just decided I haven't played football in 10 years. I'm gonna make it to the NFL. And like, I'm gonna take one of y'all jobs. They would look at me crazy. And then what I tell them is like, that's kind of what you're expecting to do by dealing with altcoins because you have to be so much better of a trader than people who actually have the bandwidth to actually pay attention to it mm-hmm. here because any money you make on a if you sell before the 365 days is 50% gone, right? And you know, compounding interest, the eighth one of the world, he who understands it earns it who it doesn't pays it and so i what i tell them is like and a lot of them don't like it focus on bitcoin even to some extent even though i don't believe in it as much i still dabble in it ethereum because it's just Mm -hmm. oh it's got enough credits to it but i try and tell them to focus on them that wait and hold to at least a year or ideally you know wait until your career is over because once your career is over you know, I, I want to say I hope every player continues to make the same money that they are. Probability is that they won't. And so mm-hmm. come down to a lower tax bracket. And that's when you can if that's when you really if you want to really kind of go to that casino side of crypto. Yeah, that's when you really want to do it um, rather than right now when you can only pay attention to it, maybe three months out of the year. You've read the Bitcoin standard, haven't you? My brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's the crypto, crypto Bible. You got it right by his hand. I could tell based upon that response. I could tell. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's the go-to. That's the go-to. And the funny thing is, though, I had this book. It's usually in my other room. But now I, like, keep it on me. Mm-hmm. Um, literally because our last, our interview with Tate. Yeah. I was, he was like, hey, like, my favorite book Bam, Bitcoin standard. I was like, yeah, that's the one. Let me reread this one again from a different lens. Yeah, that's that that that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. So, um, man, that's dope stuff, man. Um, and I'm pretty sure you've seen that documentary broke as it pertains to athletes. Mm -hmm. That was that was a powerful piece because one of those things that we all knew, but then when you see it laid out and you see people talk about like investing millions in um, inflatable furniture and all kinds of crazy investment things that they were doing, um, and I. Because I, you know, as someone that studied finance, I used to always think like, why wouldn't they just buy the S and P and just not even think about it, right? Um, but I get it. I, I understand because most people like chasing lottery tickets, like they just do. And it's not even just athletes. That's just a normal every everyday person um, doesn't want to do what's not sexy. Yeah, and I'll go on a little, a small little tangent about that. I think a lot of that is. First, you know, we got to shoot them some bail in the sense of one, there's a lot of sharks 
when you reach oh, out. Oh, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. my job sometimes, not this might be 0.2% of my job, but it's like sometimes I got to be the asshole for my brother, for people just asking too much. And it's very easy because people make stuff, people dress up poop in a gift box, right? A yeah. lot of times. Um, two, you know, you work your whole life to go to the NFL or whatever it is. And then, you know, you get into your senior year or whatever, and it's becoming real. And then you kind of meet this just random financial advisor who just met you that you kind of, uh, we've been taught to just entrust everything to them. Yeah. We don't actually know what their incentive is, right? Their incentive could be just to get a bunch of other clients. Their incentive is could just to be hit certain benchmarks so they get their percentage. And so it's important for them to understand that those guys work for them and not the other way around, mm -hmm. which is when you hear advisor, it kind of, you know, you think like that person, whatever they tell me is, you know, the right thing, but it's like, no, yeah, like, you, guys, you still need education. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know what though? And I, I want to shoot them some bill from another standpoint too, because um, the everyday, uh, the everyday person, right. They, they actually don't make the, they make the most money they'll make probably later in life, late forties, fifties. That's when mm -hmm. they're making their maximum amount of money. If anyone has like a career, a quote unquote career, an athlete that's kind of flipped on his head. You're given money at a young age, and then you know you're you're the, the, the lowest earning years are the years when everybody else is finally coming into their own. So um it's kind of a weird thing, but you know, so I, I get that. I get that. But I guess I hopefully, and maybe you can, you know, have a perspective from being so close to it that things are getting better because of people like your brother educating, and you know, now it's talked about more. Yeah, financial literacy is trendy and it's a good trend. I, I think people try and say that in like a negative connotation, but it's starting to be one of those things that's, you know, a conversation um, throughout the culture, just like, you know, Michael Jordan versus LeBron at this mm -hmm. point. So, you know, and, and, and I think it's like a lot of them saw that broke documentary. They don't yeah. want to be on broke two, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, got you. Um, you know, we had a, Brandon had a player ask him during a game when he was on the Patriots, like about, financial literacy stuff and you're like you know like bill belichick's right there like <laughs> um you know even i can only speak from experience with football players but mm -hmm. you know one of the dopest things we do at our football camp is all oh, my brother's idea he'll get this big like big long piece of paper so we can draw the timeline and it needs like 10 people to actually hold it up and what he'll do is he'll in red he'll mark off the years 21 to 24 and it'll be like a almost like a ruler from like the age zero to like 75. Mm -hmm. and he's like a lot of you here at this camp might be 500 people at this camp right statistically maybe one of you might make it right statistically technically none of you will but maybe one of you might make it mm -hmm. but even if you do make it right the statistics say that your average career is three and a half years, right? Yep. So think about that. You focus your whole youth on making it to the NFL and doing this, and you have so much more of your life where you majority of your life you won't be playing in the NFL or even majority of your football career, you won't be getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. So how do you have interests outside of the field? How do you actually pour and plant seeds 
while you're potentially in the NFL or, you know, using football to get to college, whatever it is, you know, use football as a tool, football as a platform, use it to get you where you want to go. Right. Because the reality of it is, is like you're doing the same thing that every other person in the camp is doing. Like you're doing the same amount of gases as they're doing. Right. What makes you think you're going to be the one percent of the one percent to actually make it? So, like, you got to be, you know, those are the things and conversations that we like to have with the young kids just to kind of put in perspective that, you know, you know, you're an athlete and then what? Like, you know, some of people are student and it could be an artist, right? Pour into those other interests. Um, yeah. You don't know what could come from that. Absolutely. So um, a couple questions. Um, throughout this journey of yours, from where you started to where you are now, what would you say has been the biggest hurdle for you to get you to be the person you are now with the, the platforms and everything that you have? My biggest hurdle was trusting myself only because, you know, the downside with the blackjack stuff was like, you got a lot of people laughing at the idea. Right. Um, and so you have to have confidence in like the work that you put in to actually validate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then even kind of beyond that, I'm kind of giving two is the biggest hurdle is like, I think the foundational stuff is like being sound physically, mentally, spiritually, and then I'll rent a capitalistic society financially. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I haven't, even to this day, I'm getting a lot better at it. I haven't really been able to put it all together, right? When I was at my physical peak, right, I was physically strong, I was spiritually strong, Financially, I was weak and mentally I was weak because I was pouring all into the physical side of it. When I finally got financially well, my physical side kind of slumped off. And so the big thing for me or the biggest hurdle for me was finding the confidence to say no to certain things and having confidence within myself that, you know, my time is precious. My time is technically more valuable than Bitcoin. And so those four things I need to be pouring into those every single day. And that's got to be non-negotiable. There's not a job that should come before that. I don't think there's technically a significant other that should come before that, because if I don't love myself, how can I love someone else? So for me, that's been the biggest hurdle is putting those four things and really pouring into all of those at the same time. Um, and I've only really realized that it was important to do that pretty much this past, you know, over the pandemic, it gave me some time to slow down and re really think about what I want and what's important and what I need to do um, for the next 10, 20, 30 years of my life. Man, that was powerful. Cause as you said that you got me thinking, I think I struggle with the same. I've never been able to put them all together at one time either. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it hit me to like just this second when you said that, like when you, when you focus never, on- not, not at any point was all of those things aligned. <laughs> yeah, like it didn't hit me to you just literally, literally till you just said that. I'm like, well, every time I get great over here, I struggle with this. Like I've never been able to, man. So now I got some thinking to do when I get off here, man. Thank you, Chad. I don't got the solution yet. I'm trying, but I'm trying. Thanks, Chad. All right, but, um, so you showed us the Bitcoin standard. So that's the that's the cheat answer. You can't give me that one. Outside no. of the Bitcoin standard, what would you say is um your favorite book or a book that's inspired you along your journey? 
a tie between more money than God. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, the blackjack life, because I, I really think, I mean, who knows, right? Like where my life would have went, but if I did not read that book, I don't stumble across crypto when I did. It's part of your story. Yeah, it's so much a part of my story and really was like a big fork in my road that that book really kind of, it put in perspective for me that like I have to live my life for me and do what I want to do because I got to live with the results no one else does. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not like a, it's one of those books where it's, it's a fun read. It's, it's, you're not going to, it's not going to blow your mind necessarily, unless you're really interested in, you know, going to play professional blackjack. Mm-hmm. But um, I can undoubtedly say it kind of changed the course of my life, um, whatever that other, you know, whatever I was supposed to do in that other dimension, uh, we'll never yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, Earth 3 or something. But listen, let me ask you this question, because you said that you guys actually went and met with the author. So what yeah. was that like? You're like, well, let's let's reach out to this guy. Like, how how'd that come about? You're like, let's sit down with the guy that wrote the book. Yeah, it was. And I don't necessarily know if this works for everything, but it, it was such a niche space where it was just like, let's look him up and see if we can find his email. Um, we were able to find his email. And it's like, you know, especially at that time, we were so dead set on doing it. And we were very comfortable with hearing no, because like, like if he doesn't respond or he says no, cool. We were already pitching people to invest in our blackjack company, right? For most people, right? That's me. That's literally for most people. It's like, hey, Jimmy, um, I'm running a gambling business. You want to, <laughs> yeah, right? And so it's like the expectation was we're going to get a no, and so reached out to him. It was a phenomenal conversation. We actually recorded it. Uh, probably listen to it like once every three years because there's some funny moments. And um, I would say the most significant thing that I learned from the experience is that like, even though you can get a wealth of knowledge from a book, there's nothing, maybe it's the way the book is formatted, but like having a conversation with the author and asking him directly questions that you may have or things that you didn't quite understand from the book or you know, might have a different perspective, helped tremendously. Like he, that that converse, that 50 minute conversation we had with him probably saved us, you know, six months of work and also like probably thousands of dollars um, to be quite frank. And so. One of the things that, I, that, that's, that, that permeates to me throughout this conversation is that um, you aren't afraid to like take action. You talked about your brother being an action taker. I think you are too. And you know, based on your story and you're not afraid to go for something, even if everybody thinks it's crazy, even if you get told a no, you're still taking action. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's I, something that, that, you know, resonates with me as, as I listen to your story. You're like, you know, people going to laugh, but this is what we're doing and we're doing it. Yeah. We got, we got one life, you know, <laughs> you know, you got to write your story or you can have someone else write it. It's the way I look at it. Yeah, man. So this, this is an amazing story, man. Thanks for sharing. Corey, you got any questions for the brother? He answered most of my questions because I was going to ask about uh, what it was like talking to the author of the the book that inspired you, but you already answered my question. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, man. So this this is uh, thank you so much for sharing your story for one, 
Um, we definitely going to build in the future because it, the education space. Let me ask about that before we get out of here, though. Um, is this is this specific to a school or specific to a school district or how do people get information about, you know, the classes and the curriculum yeah. that you build? So you can go to highemil.com. Um, it is not specific to the school. I, I will also put out there soon to change their name to subject. But right now you can go to highemil.com. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole point of the school or the the company is to supplement schools. So whether a school doesn't have certain subjects, maybe they don't have the bandwidth to teach certain things or they need help in a certain area. It's we're not we're district agnostic, state agnostic. Um, we are trying to supplement these schools because we saw there was a need for it, especially during the pandemic and, and seeing some of the things with the digital divide. But the goal is that um, probably by the end of this year, that technically a student could take all high meal courses and get enough accreditation to actually go to college from it. Um, so um, that's the goal. That's the game plan. We're still building. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm excited for the future and I'm confident we'll get it done. Man, nice. I'm going to put the links to, uh, you know, all your social media contacts as well as the uh, the courses and everything within the description and the show notes. Everybody can take a look at what you got going on, man. But, Chad, I just got to say again, man, thank you, bro, for uh, sharing your story. Appreciate thank your time, you, man. man. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for the work that you're doing, man. And you know, we want to miss, wish you much continued success, man. And hopefully we could build with you and we can, you know, work together and help help the people, man, because people need to uh, understand what's going on in the digital space. And um, so your work is important. So thank you. Thank you. And I'll, I'll uh, you know. Uh, ended how you guys started it, Jimmy, Corey, honored, humbled that you guys even wanted me to be on this um, and, and, and grateful for the opportunity uh, for the platform you guys built and uh, to continue success and, and we'll continue conversations offline and keep building. Absolutely, man. And again, shout out to the brother Tank, man. Um, you know, good brother that put us together, man. I just want to make sure. I sent Tank a shout out, man. Appreciate you. But uh, for our audience out there, make sure you follow Chad. Everything he's got going on. Take a look at the work that he's doing. Um, take a look at the foundation because they are, you know, um, he's already said over a half million dollars, like you know, into the people's hands, and that's very powerful and very important. So follow him. Make sure you check out everything that he's got going on. And as we always say to you, it's not about how much money you make; it's about how much you keep. Game elevates, and we'll see everybody on our next episode. Peace. Peace. Yeah.